Hi, welcome to the Penis Project podcast. This is the place to come to find out everything you've always wanted to know about men's health but were too embarrassed to ask. Join physiotherapist Dr. Joe Milios and sexologist nurse practitioner Melissa Hadley Barrett as they talk to real men and the experts about men's private parts. Have a burning question you really want to know the answer to? Please subscribe to our website at thepenisproject.org and ask us. Too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting. Too much noise altogether. In silence is strength and peace and space. Imagine silence. Project Podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by PROST, Exercise for Prostate Cancer Incorporated, a not-for-profit charity set up in 2012 by myself, Dr. Joan Williams. If you want to know any more information about PROST, including our online service now available, please just go to prost.com.au. PROST means cheers to your health, so PROST to you. Where I want to call my home. second and listen it's not silent at all so welcome to the penis project today we're very fortunate to have paul with us and since it's prostate cancer awareness we thought that we would like to really concentrate on the way getting a diagnosis of prostate cancer can make you feel and how this affects us psychologically now paul is going to talk to us very openly about his journey which we're very privileged and he's written this amazing poem which i think would be really good to start off with so i'm going to read it to you Unfair to leave with struggles and fear, passing your suffering to loved ones who care. From the edge, step back. Towards them, walk, please walk. They're waiting to listen, reach out and talk. For you it's dark, but there's nothing to gain. Don't leave them behind to carry your pain. That is a beautiful poem. Thank you. And it means a lot, I know, to you and to your family. So... Share, share, tell us your story, Paul. To the point of the poem? Yeah. Okay, so I can sort of have a timeline back to 2017. Prior to sort of March 2017, I was just a pretty happy-go-lucky kind of guy, never really worried about anything, without a good life. And then within the space of three months, I lost three people close to me, which was a couple of friends and my own father. Mm. And at the time, I think because I'd hardly had time to process one death before the next one came, and obviously then another one came pretty quickly. Um, so within that short period of time, yeah, it was um, it was chaotic. I think from you know a personal point of view, and um, I flew back to England with my wife for my father's funeral, and I think the part that I remember most about that was actually on the last day before we flew back to Australia, which obviously we now call home. Um, and I remember standing by my father's graveside and I was thinking, gee, this is it. This is where I say goodbye. You know, mm. I knew that I wouldn't have the comfort of coming back every couple of weeks or so just to sort of stand there and sort of say hello and, you know, mm. let him know I was getting on one thing and another. So, um, so we moved on from that point and, you know, that was July, uh, July the 28th actually was his funeral, 
which in what was, year, sorry? This was in 2017, mm-hmm. um, which happened to coincide with my middle boy's birthday. Um, so, but we kind of worked on the fact that we would always look at that as my son's birthday and not the date of the, my dad's burial. So, mm. so yeah, we kind of moved on from there, sort of trying to process everything that had gone off. And, um, yeah, we got up to Christmas and I don't think at any point I'd really dealt with any of the grief um, of any of the deaths, you know. And I I remember thinking, did I lack a bit of empathy, you know, there regarding the father? Because I was thinking, you know, maybe why aren't I reacting in the way that I thought? Because I feel like I'm a compassionate person, you know, with sympathy and empathy for most people. Um, but this I couldn't process. But anyway, sort of drifting into the new year and then I just developed severe anxiety and um, I couldn't work out what had done that at the time. Mm. It's only had now. you had any anxiety at any time before? Um, no, not not to that le- not to that degree. Yeah, I think yeah. I had cases where you might have been a little bit worried about one or two yeah, things, but not yeah. not to this level where I was just getting like an hour or two sleep at night. Mm. I just kind of focused on everything that could go wrong in life and started worrying about it. You know, finances, would I get my mortgage paid off? Am I going to have enough money for retirement? All these kind of things. And um, But I still didn't link it to maybe that I hadn't processed with the grief and maybe mm. that was actually what was working through me here. So I actually went to the doctors um, and had a bit of a chat with him about it and um, he said, look, I'll do some blood tests and, you know, we'll see if there's anything going off. And I don't think I had any concerns at all that I was ill in any way, apart from obviously what was going off mentally. And um, and then I got a call from him and he said, oh, you know, can you come in and see me because, you know, your PSA is a little bit high and we'd like to have a chat about that. Mm. And I... You know, ignorantly didn't even know what he was talking about. So right. what is it? What are you talking about? Is mm. it you know it's to do with your prostate, prostate and <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I went okay. So I went in. It's interesting because if I'd have known what was going to happen that day, I probably wouldn't have gone in. You know. Okay, but he said yeah. to me, "I'm going to examine you." Obviously, I knew what that meant, mm-hmm. and um, it wasn't something I think any guy would sort of thinks they're going to look forward to at any <laughs> stage. So we're talking about the digital rectal yeah, examination. Yeah, that, that was it. I knew straight away what he was talking about. And I was like, and in, in my mind then I was thinking, oh, should I tell him I'll come back next week? You know, can we make another appointment? I knew that if I did, if he did that, that I wouldn't have gone back. You wouldn't go mm. back. No, I wouldn't go back. You know, it was a difficult mm. thing, you know, to process that because, you know, it's so invasive, which sounds, you know, for a man... It's just, you know, it was difficult for me to deal with. But anyway, he got me on the spot and he said, come on up here, I'm going to examine you. And I thought, oh, I've just got to do this. So so I did. Um, and he said, oh, I think I'll send you to the hospital for some biopsies. But I never had any red flags at that point. I never thought, oh, what's going on? Bearing in mind, I was still suffering with the anxiety. Mm. It didn't sort of... Connect. Di- I didn't connect. I didn't think... Holy shit! You know this is this is going from bad to worse, and now I've got cancer or something. It, it never registered with me. Really? No, nah, not mm. at that point. Then I went for the biopsies, and I honestly thought that I'd have those, 
and then I'd get a call and they'd say, you know, everything's great, no, nothing to worry about. So it was May the 2nd, and I was just going up to the local shops, I'd driven up, driving up there, and my wife says, take your phone just in case the hospital will ring. I said, oh, they're not going to ring now, it's a bit late in the day. She said, well, you never know. So anyway, I took the phone. I was just about to get out of the car, having got to the shops, and the phone went, and I looked and I thought, oh, it's the hospital. And um, I think it was Erica or Cynthia. Uh, your wife, she knew. Yeah, she, she knew. knew. <laughs> and um, so I said, hello, Cynthia. I think it was Cynthia. And um, she said, hello, Paul, how are you? I said, oh, great, thanks, you know. And um, she just said to me, we need to have a bit of a chat. And I said, oh, okay. She said, are you sitting down? Mm. And I, I, then when she said that, I just sort of came over. I thought, what's he just about to say to me, you mm. know? Mm. And um, I said, well, I'm sitting in the car. I said, if, you know, if that's anything to go on. <laughs> um, and she said, I've got some bad news for you. So I just sort of went a bit blank there. And mm. I said, what is it? And she said, I'm afraid it's cancer. And I just, I just said, I've got to go home. Mm. I didn't even, I wouldn't even give her the time to finish with the conversation that we were having at that stage. Mm. I said, I've got to get home. And I cannot remember the journey from mm. that, uh, still to this day. How I'll, far was that journey? Only two kilometres. Mm. But mm. I just cannot remember. Mm. And I walked into the house. My wife was at work. That's why I wanted to get home, really. Yeah. Um, because I was going to call her as soon as I got home. And I walked in and my eldest son was there. Mm -hmm. And I walked in and he just said, what the hell was wrong with you? Mm. And I went, nothing. He went, what? He said, what do you mean nothing? He said, I can tell there's something wrong. Mm. So I just sort of sat down and I blurted it out to him first, mm. which wasn't what I wanted to do. But he was pressing me on. Yeah, uh, on, he was concerned I, He, he was concerned. You. He could see yeah. there was drastically something going off mm. so i blurted that out and he just kind of yeah he just used expletives and all <laughs> that kind of how thing. old's your son oh how old was he's he? 32 now so, he was so yeah so yeah. yeah um so uh i rang my wife straight away i said you've got to come home um and she said why what's wrong i said the hospital have wrong um so he said i'll be the home in two minutes he only just worked up the road at the school so she was home in two minutes um kind of spoke to her about what they'd said i said they said i've got to call them back i said but I'm, i don't know if i can you mm. know i just wasn't ready at that fear of finding out yeah yeah, yeah, very yeah. i didn't want to know how bad it was it was bad enough finding out I, it was there mm. it, i didn't want to know the gravity of it at that situation at that time sorry so i kind of Left that until the next day because Cynthia had said to me, you must ring us back because we've got to get this, you know, ball sort of. rolling. Um, mm. So um, sort of sat there, thrashed it out a little bit, how I was going to deal with it, and then called back the next day. And they pretty much, you know, got me on the treadmill, if you like, and from that point, you know, to go and see the surgeon and then deal with the you know, counsellors. You know, it was a, just a, a crazy few days at that point but I was you know kind of still didn't really 
work out how serious it was. You know, they were talking about Gleason scores and all that kind of thing. But a whole new, like, dictionary words <laughs> you, did, like you didn't want to know anyway. No. And yeah. then when I went in, you know, we went from the surgeon and, I mean, I remember him, the conversation, you know, him saying what, you know, what was going to happen. And I remember him responding. I said, have you got any good news? And he said, mm, not really, not at this stage. Mm. And I, I, you know, on reflection, I look back at it and go, it seemed quite brutal. But mm. I understand that now that they haven't got time to be sort of sympathetic to any degree. You know, they've got a job to do and I think they just look into, you know, that's how it felt to me anyway. And um, they also had didn't have that background either that, no, no. that you had already been suffering from anxiety no, no. and had these losses, yeah, had yeah, they? Yeah, that's so right. No, was, mm. they knew nothing about me really. And then, you know, we went in obviously then they sent us straight through to the counsellor. I think she gave us some pamphlets and booklets and must have been that iron. I was just overwhelmed with it. Mm. And you were only 57 at this stage. Yeah, yeah. yeah 57. Yep. So the counsellor was actually the prostate cancer nurse, I'm thinking, was it? Or Yeah, she was obviously, yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, I mean, I only ever saw her at once. Yeah, the very first Yeah, the very yep. first appo- appointment, you know. I and that was the person who gave you my details, wasn't it? Yeah, Because then right, very yeah. soon after that yeah, you came, came to see, to see you. me. Yeah. yeah, I think your wife rang and booked you in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think obviously when we met Melissa, you could see... I think I just spiralled very quickly. Um, and the strange thing was the, the anxiety disappeared. Like, obviously, there's a difference between anxiety and depression. I, you know, I worked that out, um, for me anyway. And the anxiety disappeared. The, you know, that worry of this, that and the other was suddenly, you know, replaced with this real thing that was going off other than imaginary things that I was trying to control. Mm. Um, I remember that day so vividly when I met you because you came in with your wife and you just looked broken. And I remember I didn't even do my usual (laughs) pre-surgery spiel. We just, I was like, are you okay? And you were like, nope. (laughs) And I Mm. sent you to a counsellor and I started you on some antidepressants, didn't I? Well, you gave me Mm. the the tablets that helped me sleep, Mm. which was a, a good start for me. You know, because if I, I d- oh yeah, yeah, you know, it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. You know, I was getting mm. up for work, and I was like, I had days where I thought, God, how did I get to work? You know, it just seemed like a blur. So, yeah, I was broken that day when I came in to see you, without a doubt. I mm. think I don't, I don't think I'd actually reached the lowest point, mm. but I was pretty low. Do you remember your wife being concerned? Oh Melissa yeah. was concerned. She was concerned. She was, yeah. she was teary. She was obviously really worried. And when she'd rung me, she said she was really worried. Because I remember I got you in quicker because I, yeah. she was worried. And then I, I did ring the hospital afterwards and the prostate cancer nurse and say, we've, this guy desperately needs some counselling. Mm. You can't just, just he's, yeah. he's had a terrible time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, pre- it was pretty early on really. But I think mm. obviously with everything that had gone it's on before. It's a perfect storm. You just yeah, needed one just, more yeah. hand grenade in that yeah, that, storm that was and it. Boom. That was the hand grenade. That yeah. was the thing that, mm. you know, I was like, I don't think I ever sat there and thought, what is going off here? Why have I just suddenly hit this mm. bad run, you know? Mm. Uh, because I wasn't reflecting on the deaths of those people. or Because that was in the past. That was in the past, yeah. This was immediate, mm. you know. I wasn't able to sort of put the two together and really work out that's, that's why I spiralled as quick as I did. So, um, yes, yeah, so I was actually diagnosed on the 2nd of May, 2018. And then obviously that process of going to see the surgeon, the counsellors, one thing after the other, mm. you know, and the, every, every day. Piling was, up, piling up, Yeah, it was up, just piling, piling up and piling mm. up. And, and then 
I guess to the point with the poem um, was that I'd written poetry in the past um, and then I'd sort of just sort of put it to one side and then it's interesting because, you know, I'm like a lot of people, I love music and I listen to the lyrics that, you know, from the 60s and 70s, mm. which are, you know, there are a lot of stories, mm-hmm. you know, that you can listen to and it's not all about, just about melodies and riffs and all that kind of thing, you know, more to it about the lyrics and listening and going, you know, somebody's got a story that's going mm. on here. Mm. So I think that's mm. why it came out in poetry for me. Mm. But regarding this particular poem, yeah, I spiralled to a point where um, I knew my mental health was suffering. I mean, I was able to actually think to myself, I'm in more danger from my own mental health than the cancer at that stage. That's how how I looked at it. I thought, you know, the strange has created its own paradox because I've got a team of people who are prepared to work and save my life and here I was contemplating taking it mm. which is the contradiction the con- yeah the, and I was like you know this is I wasn't gonna sort of navigate my way through this um so how did you well it w- what happened was okay so my youngest our youngest son lives around the corner from us and um so I'd like get to take the dog a walk at, at night time just to sort of in the afternoon at night just to sort of be on my own with my own thoughts you know I couldn't really sort of deal with Sue my wife's thoughts as well at that time mm. you know um which was you know that's another thing I reflect on and look at it and think holy shit you know um but it was all I was just it was just overwhelming self-centered thoughts about myself and how I was going to get through this um I didn't want to cause any pain or upset to to my immediate family. I didn't want them to see me in that state, no, but yeah. um, but it was evident there was, you know, it was pretty rough regarding the mental health part of it. You know, I think the cancer, it's not like, because it's internal, you can't really see what's mm. going off if it's on your arm. You it's can like say, getting your car fixed too. You put it in for a service and you yeah. come out with a $10,000 bill and you go, what? Yeah, <laughs> 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 yeah strange. Me? The way my car? Yeah. <laughs> so I look kind of, you know tried to protect them from it and I think mm-hmm. the only way I could do that was to withdraw into myself mm-hmm. to maybe not talk about it so much and if I did it was in a negative form mm. but back to where I was with the uh, with the son living around the corner mm. so I was walking down the road and we, there's a bit of a nature reserve at the bottom of the road where we live and I used to walk through there and I'd actually I'd actually picked up the tree that I was going to end my life oh. yeah i'd walk by every day and i'd just say to my dog you know this mm. is a, where i was with it all you know i was going yeah. this is where it's going to end for me oh, you God. know paul i can't <laughs> imagine how that must feel to have that feeling but it actually become my savior believe it or not because one day i'm walking past it and um I'm looking up at the tree. So I, I, every time I used to take the dog a walk, I used to stop, look at it, mm. you know, sort of analyse it and which branch yep. it was going to be. Mm. That's where it, it all was. Yep. Yeah, I was doing, I was planning it. Yep. Um, and then on this particular day, and I don't know what that date was because it was just a certain day. So I get there, same routine. And I looked and suddenly I thought about my son living around the corner. Mm. Okay. Mm. Not that I thought that he would find me, but 
I know because they've got a dog, they've walked the same path. Yeah. And why was it fair for me to take my life there and for him to have to walk past that tree knowing that's where I'd yeah. taken my life, mm. even if he hadn't found me? The clarity in the chaos. Yeah, at that moment. Of clarity it was just at that moment. And then I got home and um, I can't remember really. Everything was pretty much a blur life at that stage. Mm. So I used to wake up early in the morning and Sue would go to work and that moment when I'm on my own is where the poems would come out. So that poem took me two minutes. Mm, it was just there. It was just there waiting to come out. And like I say, going back to the music thing, you know, that a lot of people write their best lyrics, you know, when things are going off in their lives which aren't necessarily the best things, you know. Mm. You know, Amy, Amy Winehouse's yep. um, Back is Black and yeah. her two... Her two albums are all about her relationship breakdown and, and she never then produced other music. No, mm. no, that's right. And it was her best music. You know. was it's the same so for a lot painful. of... Yeah, so mm. painful, you know. So that poem kind of became your saviour too, didn't it? Yeah, because it did. It saved that. me because yeah. once I'd written it, then I knew I wasn't going to take my own life. That was it for me. I'd you made that I'd, yeah, promise on my statement yeah, to put it th- out there. That, well, I'd be, I'd be the biggest hypocrite in the world if I'd wrote that <laughs> and then took my own life. Do you know what I mean? Because did you share that with anyone? No, I didn't. Oh, I did actually with my sister-in-law who was actually going through depression at that time. Mm. And I sent her the poem. And um, she'd actually spiralled into depression through the loss of her dog. And she's contemplated, you know, because she's single mm. and... You know, one that was her closest companion, one thing and another. Mm. I was concerned for her while I was concerned for myself mm. at that stage. So um, I sent her that poem. <laughs> and she just, you know, a few more expletives from her as well. But she says, great, I can't even kill myself now. <laughs> <laughs> the dark, the black humour. Oh, my God. <laughs> so... I so think actually that, that was her saviour, that poem too. Yeah, I d- I, and I, d- I do believe, I, don't, I mean, it's very difficult for me to say, you know, you know, when I've watched it where people say, even if it saves one life, yeah. but I, drew, I genuinely, genuinely do believe mm. that that poem did save her life mm. because it her response like it. to it. Her response. Yeah, her response. Well, yeah. I can't even kill myself now, mm. you yeah. know, because I made a promise to you and that yeah. poem. You know, oh my gosh, I'm kind of got goosebumps here. I'm kind of just going to drop in for a second. You know, Movember. Movember yeah. is the month coming up of International Men's Health. And in the past, it's always been about prostate cancer yeah. and testicular cancer. But moving forward, they've actually decided to really embrace mental health with a lot more focus. And this year, it's all about minimising the uh, epidemic, basically, mm. of young men taking their lives su- yeah. with suicide. And it's all about mental health, suicide prevention and ideation. Uh, and... It's so tough to talk about and we've we've done a lot of podcasts and we've had people mention they've had fleeting thoughts but we've never actually had a conversation this raw. Okay. So, yeah. you know, you're – I know people are listening okay. and pe- this will really help other people. Yeah, I, ho- I hope so. And hopefully we, we'll put, we will definitely put this poem in the show notes so anyone who's listening yeah. and if you're feeling this way, print it. And stick it on your bathroom mirror. Uh, well, I've got yeah. a better, and I've got a really good idea. We're gonna. Um, I've got a um, idea, and it's going to happen. <laughs> it's called Yomo Yo- Yoga in Movember. We're going to actually do an event inv- inviting men of all ages and uh, from whatever level of fitness, but anyone who's 
even been touched by men's health or mental health yeah. to come and try a yoga session on the Subiaco Football Club Oval and it's going to be held in November. But it it's just going to be a day to say let's just stop and pause and be grateful. But I, I want to give that promo out to everyone yeah, that, who attends yeah, with yeah. your permission yeah, because that, that's the focus. Yeah. Yeah. Because we might I even th- read the promo out. Well, you could. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I, th- I think that, you know, I, I reflect and wonder how close I was and it's only now that I'm well mm. that I can reflect on that and go, you know, I was pretty close. Very. If you were like was, planting your yeah, tree, that's I was close. pretty close. And <sighs> What was the turning point for you, Paul, when things started to get better? Um, uh, you mean after I realised that I wasn't going to yeah. take... Yeah. And well, there was clarity then. So, like that sort of paradox of people who were going to save my life opposed to me taking it, mm. that that had gone. Now I was focused on just getting the surgery done yeah. and, and getting well, you know. An well action plan. You went, yeah, right. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've got to do yeah. this now. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, you know, like I, I look at that poem and I've I, I visioned myself. Not, I mean, I don't have a faith, so, you know, I hope everybody can understand that yeah. we're all different regarding mm. that of um but at that moment i did have a vision of me being in heaven if mm. you like and looking down at the pain that i caused mm. yep. so, do you know what i mean yeah, yeah. it was like an out of body experience. yeah like an out of body yeah. experience and i thought you know i know how they're going to be if this happens mm. can and i just say that line if you don't mind for you it's dark, but there's nothing to gain. Don't leave them behind to carry on your pain. Mm. Mm. Yeah, because that, that's how I felt. I was in, you know, mentally a dark, dark place and a lot of pain mentally. Mm. And I thought, why on earth would I want to leave that? More pain to other for, people. For people that I love, you know. Mm. Why would I want to affect the rest of their lives, mm. you know. And so you would have had the operation and yeah. treatment and did, did all that go okay? Yeah, it, it all went okay. I think it went better than, uh, you know, I remember Mac Brown coming to me in the morning after the surgery and, you know, I was pretty buoyant because, you know, I'd got no pain and, mm-hmm. you know, yep. I think the psychological part of dealing with it, I wasn't at that, you know, I was just happy that I got yep. through the surgery. One He'd, box ticked. Yeah, one box <laughs> ticked and, you know, he said to me, you know, you're trying to set a record for me because... Like I'd got no, nothing to tell him that you know, <laughs> I'd got nothing, no pain or anything. Yep, yep, you know, yep. I was I was felt great. Yeah. Um. Then obviously, you know, you leave hospital. Um. No real issues. Yeah. Um. I got the catheter in, mm-hmm. which was the biggest issue yeah. for me. <laughs> yeah. Um. I remember being really happy the day I was going to hospital to get that removed. Um. And yeah, and then kind of sort of. There was a bit of a sort of, I don't know, it's hard to describe really. Um, before I got to the point of dealing with the sexual health part of it, I guess, mm-hmm. um, and that that became, you know, the biggest th- obviously obstacle that I was 
we're going to have to get over. Because yeah. we saw each other a few times and we really didn't do much with sexual health, did we? We no, just no. talked, mainly yeah. we, we spent time together with you, talking about your mental health. Yeah, yeah. And you got a lot better after the surgery. I felt like before was a lot worse and then as time went on afterwards, you were sleeping better. Yeah. And you, yeah. you had a plan and the cancer was gone. Yeah, and, yeah. And that was really when you started thinking about that kind of combination effect of those losses as well, wasn't it? When yeah. you started dealing with yeah, that. I, yeah, I definitely. You know, I think that, you know, I felt... I mean, I never... I still don't know how ill I really was. And, you know, I knew obviously if I didn't deal with it, then it was going to take my life eventually. Mm. Did you find it difficult to get support in the medical profession at that time? Um, Melissa aside. Yeah, Melissa. Melissa. Yeah, but I, I can't... I've, you know, I was looking at other people's side of it, you know. Yeah. It's, it's not just dealing with me, they're dealing with countless people day mm. in day out it's difficult to build up a relationship when you know people are you know it's not just about you you know so i kind of didn't i guess i didn't look for that really i found it in with melissa i guess you know sympathetic mm. um but uh, you know they've got a job to do and i understand that you know and i guess they've got to detach themselves from being too sympathetic well, to did everybody you have a regular gp before you yeah i did yeah yeah yeah, yeah. No, I mean, really, you know, I look back and he basically saved my life. Mm -hmm. He was the one because he examined me, you know, if, you know, and I've thanked him for that. Mm. You know, I said, look, if I'd have been living in the UK, I think I wouldn't Mm. have found out about this um, because it's just different. Their medical system there, you don't necessarily go for MOTs or, you know, Mm. every six months like I do here. And we have done since we've been here. You know, you just kind of have your blood tests and everything. That's not something, a practice that we were involved in in the UK. So, you know, I thanked him because I said, you saved Mm. saved my life really. And did he have an observation of your mental health decline, do you think? Or yeah, well, he, he was already dealing with that because okay. I was going for counselling during yeah. the anxiety period. Okay. Um, so He was good. He was really supportive as well. I think. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. He he, yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah, he was very good. And so do you remember if in your darkest time, if the people around you were trying to talk to you and you were pushing them away? Yeah. Do you, you know that's a no, common no, thing? No, no, no. Were you happy um, or that they weren't? I can probably sort of narrow those moments down to maybe two or three. I will remember one day sitting on the edge of the bed and thinking that was when I, when I realised I was at my lowest point. Mm. This was before the surgery, yeah. during the depression, mm. the, you know, my mental health and all that. And I sat on the edge of the bed and I thought, this is what a nervous breakdown must be like because I couldn't, you know, I, was, I couldn't describe it. Mm. And I got up from the bed... And uh, I think it was about seven o'clock in the morning and I went outside and just broke down. Mm. And... uh, Was someone there? Yeah. Mm. So one one of my boys, my middle boy, came out and just mm-hmm. put his arm around me. <laughs> yeah, and you knew you weren't alone. Yeah, and you know that physical touch. Like um, I observe it all the time. You don't need to do too much. We had the Brownlow Medal last night, um, the AFL thing, and and yeah, I watched that. The anticipation in the room, and you just saw. I saw 
football players kissing each other like <laughs> in in the most humor and it was the most perfect thing like, yeah this adoration and this brotherhood of just support and they didn't have to say anything they were just this love yeah know? yeah yeah um, uh, humans i don't know we're special <laughs> yeah yeah i think my biggest regret through that whole process and i like People call it a journey, and I never really wanted to call yeah. it that, but I couldn't find another word for yeah. it. Do you know what I mean? And um, um, my biggest regret was that my wife was really positive mm. with me yep. through the whole process. Yep. Okay, I wouldn't say I was negative. Yeah, I would just say I was being realistic. Yeah, I think my wife saw it as negative. Yeah, but I just said to her, I said, "I'm trying to be realistic here mm. because I never expected to get cancer in the first place." Yeah. Um, so I've got to be realistic. Mm. There's a possibility this might take my life. Sure, yeah. So that's where I was that's with where it. You were setting yourself, in but your my wife was positive at every point. Yeah. And I remember, you know, we've been together over 40 years, and that was the worst year that we had. You know, mm. for arguing. You know, there's there's seven months mm. from being diagnosed to the surgery. Yeah. yeah. So much we, tension. The tension, yeah. the arguments. You know. Um, and I realised, obviously, my mental health was contributing to that problem as well. And um, I remember saying to her one day during a, you know, an, an argument, "You're just so positive, you know. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you you don't even s- seem to be aware of what's what I'm going through here. You're just, you know, so upbeat about it all the time." And she just turned around to me. She says. But when you're at work in the afternoon, you don't see me fucking crying in the afternoon, do you, when I'm here at home? Mm. And that shook me out of it. Mm. I realised then that she was living with it. Excuse me using that. Well, that's fine. I remember seeing It's my favourite word, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I remember seeing her face, you know, sitting next to you. Just You could just tell she was as broken as you because it must have been so hard for her to see you, her husband, who had always until recently been happy. Yeah. Just yeah. having such a, such a terrible time. Yeah. I mean, it was all over your face. It yeah. must have been so hard for her, and it was. I, yeah, I, you could see her feel yeah. that. I couldn't. I couldn't see it then because because my mental health mm. and the depression. And this is You're the problem. The you, you, this is the problem, and why people do end up taking their lives because. At that moment, you're just—it's all about you as the person and your pain, and you just want to end that pain. You just want to escape. You d- yeah, mm. and you're not interested in really listening to. You know, people can say what they want, but you still got to deal with it, mm. you know. And that, that. But when you're that mentally unwell, you probably don't have the capacity to even fairly judge that, like that clarity that we talked no, about no, a moment ago. No, like, that's what I'm saying. That's yeah. why people just, you know, then they then they do it, you mm. know, because they think. Well, and people often say it's a selfish act. Yeah, I, know, I, I do agree <laughs> with that to a point, you know, um, because it would have been selfish, I think. And mm. I don't mean that in a harsh way. I'm just saying there has to be a, a certain amount of selfishness for mm. somebody to do that. Um, because I've been in that position, so mm. I looked at it that way. Mm. You know, I look back at it now and I go, gee, you know. I think also it's a bit like, you know, if you've got a headache and then you cut your finger with a knife, you kind of forget about your headache, don't you? Yeah. So if yeah. you've got severe depression, you yeah. you kind of have no space to think about anything other than no. that. And that includes the people you love. That's right, yeah. So it's maybe it's not so much selfish, it's just you're so consumed by yeah. it. it. It appears to be a selfish act, but you are consumed by it. Mm. So I, I understand... You're not well enough to no, see you're the big not, picture. You're n- no, mm. I understand why people do it, you know. 
like I said, I just where where I was with it, I really don't know, you know. But so moving on from that, you you have done fantastic, haven't you? Like your PSA is still yeah. low, yeah. and you've got full sexual function back now, haven't you? Not f- not fully. Not no, full? that's still a bit of an issue. How uh, is that now? Because you did go through. Using yeah, I think yeah we we did, um, and we had you know some success with it, and then. Um, I don't know, yeah, that's more from my point of view that, you know, Sue's willing, you know, and mm. wants to work harder with that than I have and I'm prepared to admit that. Mm-hmm. I think it's just that whole process mm. of injecting yourself, um, you know, preparing yourself for it. Mm. And so, mm, yeah. Manufactured, I guess, isn't it? It's how it, it's a, yeah, that's how it feels mm. to yeah. me. Um, sort of takes away the spontaneity of it. This is where I think the shockwave will actually have some really mm. helpful things and some surgery that we talked about with uh, Dr. David Dangerfield. Dangerfield a couple of episodes ago. There's there's developments going on in this space. Yeah. yeah. And because you can get some erectile function on your own, yeah. can't yeah. you? Yeah. Can, yeah. And so you're able to have intimacy in other ways? Yeah. I mean, we can. Yeah. Um, I just think, like, the last three years, like, when I look at it, I go, "Geez, there's so much gone off yeah. that's been negative." You know, yeah. we were in, we were in Thailand in 2019, and we've been there four days. And Sue um, fell, broke her ankle in two places oh when God. we were there. Mm. Um, you know, end of holiday. End <laughs> of holiday. Then we get into 2020, COVID. Mm. You know, um, and then 2017, your your three people died. 2018, prostate cancer. Yeah. 2021. Yeah. It's been a rough five yeah, years. Yeah, it's been it it, it, it <laughs> has, been and rough. I think that you know the the intimacy part of it, you know, sort of. Uh, I don't want to make excuses about it because that's how it may appear. But mm. you know, and then I've, I had this, you know, which just just for the com- listeners, yeah, just complicate. When Paul says this, he recently fell three meters, didn't you, at yeah. work, and broke his wrist really badly, and so I couldn't shake his hand today. Yeah. <laughs> so you have had a rough time. So what now, Paul? Like, is are things looking up? Do you feel yeah, like? Well, I, I can honestly say. I mean, um, I mean, from my I'm outside perspective, you're a different man to the yeah, man I met three and years I, ago. I, I, I am. You know, I, well, I mean, we've. The one thing that we've, we have been blessed with in the last few years is we had a grandson in March wow. 2020 mm-hmm. and he's just changed life, you know. And I think, you know, I had a couple of moments there where I thought, Jesus, if I'd have done that, you know, I would have never met him, mm. you know. The thought of that, you know, now I see him and he's just, mm-hmm. you know, this bundle of... What about your dog? <laughs> yeah, she's still going. That's her name. <laughs> Daisy. Daisy, yeah. that's lovely. Yeah, so... Um, and what about you? Like, how do you... Wh- wh- where do you feel your mental, mental health is now? It's, I don't have any issues. Mm. You know, like, it's strange because when I had this accident three months ago, yeah. um, you know, so I've been going through that process of, you know, the repair. Mm. I mean, when I had cancer... I had the surgery, I was back at work within five weeks mm. and here I've had this injury and I've been off work for three months. Right, yeah. I'm in the process of going back to work next week on okay. light duties and um, the people that I'm dealing with, one of the first questions she asked me was, how's your mental health? Mm. And I said, look, I said, I've had cancer and I know what it's like to deal with a mental health issue. I said, 
this has not created a mental <laughs> health issue for me. Mm. You, know, that's two, you know, there's two different baskets here. Yeah. And this one is, I just need to get Sticks well. Sticks and stones and broken yeah. bones. Yeah. I just need to get well with yeah. this, get back to work and get back on with the life that, you know, I had post-cancer, which, mm. I, I, you know, I've been in a really, really good place, you know. Yeah. Happy. Yeah, you're happy. You've been great. And now you're here and you're going to help other men because there will be well, other ha- guys that will yeah. listen to this, Paul, and yeah. they'll go, I felt like that. Yeah. And, and he feels better now. Yeah. So hopefully I mean, I you can told too. me, you know, the 72% mm. of men. Yeah, increased risk of suicide yeah, just uh, purely by having a prostate cancer diagnosis. Yeah. When I started off my PhD, there was a wonderful man and um, oh, I will put his name up there. Um, but I will think of it in a moment if I don't think about it. Um, he said to me, Joe, have you thought about putting in some psychological assessments in your quality of life domains in the uh, questionnaires that you want to do? And he talked about positive growth theory, which was we all know that shit basically happens yeah. and it's how we choose to deal with that shit yeah. that we can choose. So yeah. it's it's all about how can we make something positive out of something pretty fucked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, to use that yeah. word. So being positive when when you hear people getting diagnosis and everyone says be positive, you can do it, you're strong. Actually that really makes me feel quite upset because everyone's dealt these horrible cards yeah. sometimes and you you're trying your best I mean, yeah. we all want to live. <laughs> yeah, know, so, yeah. you know, to be... Mm. Uh, positive growth theory is good, but I just wondered if you had anything in reflection about that concept. Yeah, well, I, I, uh, it's funny because I remember thinking how positive everybody was mm. to the point that it became tiring. Mm, I was, yes. you know, I'd go to work and, you know, people going, oh, well, yeah, no, it's gonna, you're going to be fine, you know, and I was going... And I had moments where I'd walk away and just go, for fuck's sake. You know, my most unfavourite expression I ever hear when it comes to prostate cancer, and I used to, I'm used i guilty of saying this myself, and every time I do I want to kick myself, is when people go, oh, if you're going to get cancer, it's the best one no. to yeah. have. I, no somebody cancer. said that to me and I was yeah. like, really? Yeah, mm. and it really, it's just, with you're trying, and I think, mm. it, you, but it's not helpful. No. It's an unhelpful thing to yeah. say. And I think we all should be allowed to dwell when we feel a bit sad for a while. Like yeah. sometimes you just need to feel sad. Yeah. And it's far better to put your arm around someone or hold their hand sometimes and just be. Mm. Yeah. Just sit beside you. I remember you when we went mm. the, the holiday where my wife broke her ankle, you know, we're just about to get on the plane. And I said, I'll just nip to the toilet. I'll go to the toilet. And there's a sign above every urinal, prostate cancer, yeah. the biggest cancer killer of men. Yeah. In Australia, mm. and I'm standing there just about to go on holiday, and I'm like, "Really? Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> I needed that." <laughs> I'm trying to switch off, and then I get on the plane, and every kilometre that that plane's moving <laughs> away from my safety zone. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Mm. It's like, but. And but while no. you've been chatting, I've thought of my mentor, Professor Sandy Gordon, who's been the sports psychologist at UWA for all the sportsmen for many, many years. I think he's still heavily involved with the Wildcats and even gymnasts yeah. at um, the Waste Institute. Sandy Gordon and his positive growth theory. Everyone should have a look at that. Yeah, He's okay. done a lot of work yeah. on it. Mm. Yeah. So, Paul, have you got anything else you'd like to say today? I mean, I just think that sharing your story is so brave yeah. and your poem you. is brilliant. So yeah. we really appreciate you talking to us. And Is there any like message that you wanted to... Well, obviously from the poem, you know, that's the way that I'm kind of reaching out to guys out there just to say, look, you know, I've been there. I don't want to sound patronising that I've been there, you know, so I know what it feels like. But, but you do. But but I do. And 
there is light at the end of the tunnel, which sounds one of those cliches, but it's it's a fact. You can, you know, with the right help, get yourself to where, you know, you can deal with this, you know. Um, yeah, just, I hope the poem does help. I hope, and I, I have got another poem on there that if we've got time, mm. I can just sort of go through because this is the one that really sort of sums up my battle at that time. Well, I was just thinking that we should get you to read out your poem, yeah. but how about you read this one? Yeah. Because we'll post the other one and Melissa read the other one at the front. So yeah. I think we're all sort of thinking on the same wavelength yeah. here. So are you happy to read yeah. it out? Is that big yeah, enough? Yeah, that's, that's fine. Yeah. Do you need glasses? No, no, no. no. <laughs> Melissa can borrow hers. Yeah. So just <laughs> nice and slowly when you're ready. Yeah. Okay, so this is kind of based on, and I think, Guys of my age group would understand this. So I was a big Rocky Balboa fan and I loved <laughs> all the movies. So I was kind of looking for a situation where I could put words together that may, you know, help me to understand what's going on. Um, mm. So for you guys out there who do know Rocky, and um, I'm just going to read this poem to you. Um, and I hope that... Yeah, it resonates with you and you can understand where it's coming from. So, okay. Is it self-pity? I look at my plight. The days all seem so dark. I search for the light. I'm on the ropes. It's only round one. I look to the canvas, my strength all but gone. But those in the corner who look to the ring hold on to the towel from their hands it won't fling. They have that belief, their faith in me to rise to the challenge and beat the big sea. I've found this strength within me before. It lies inside at my very core. So, Big C, we stand toe-to-toe. Punches come and the more you throw. Shoulders slumped, you sense defeat. But I'm not on the canvas, I'm standing strong on my feet. Identity as as a man you may take from me. But a surgeon's knife and of you I will be free. You won't defy me with all of this strife. I have more to hof- offer. You won't take my life. Thank you. Brilliant. Really great. <laughs> oh, I was <laughs> going to put that on. You know, I've got another. I I read that poem to a uh, Rocky Redemption. So if you put that one on YouTube. We are putting it on at the end. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to play that music because I had the opportunity to run up yeah. the y- Rocky stairs years ago. Yeah. This Did you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is awesome. a brilliant way to end. Thank you again, Yeah, Paul. no, no thanks, thanks it. for... It's fantastic. Thanks for having me here, and I, I honestly, sincerely hope... And I wish everybody, you know, all you guys out there who are going through this and you listen to the, the Penis Project, and I hope you get some strength from, you know, what's been spoken about today, and you can get there. Good luck, guys. Thank you. I'm going to tell you about a boy who lives inside me been there all of my life. Hi, this is Dr. Joe. Thank you so much for listening to our program today. And we're pleased to let you know that we will be having weekly podcasts, not fortnightly, as originally proposed. And this is because of the popularity of our podcast. We're getting so many emails, so many questions, and so much feedback. And Melissa and I greatly appreciate it. What we'd really love you to do is share our podcast with anyone you think might benefit, including any man in your life. Simply download off Spotify or 
subscribe to thepenisproject.org and then you'll get a weekly email of our newest releases. Also feel free to send us a review and this will greatly help in our ongoing ability to bring you new and fresh information as that's the way we build what comes next. We also have show notes attached and this gives a bit of a background into any additional resources or explanations of what we're talking about. Finally, it's my great pleasure to let you know that PROST, the exercise program which sponsors our podcast, is now available on a USB resource for any man diagnosed with prostate cancer, an exercise program. Clinicians can buy these as well as the everyday bloke. So feel free to check out prost.com.au. Meanwhile, let's keep the conversation going. I learned to value each and every one Of those warm afternoons Boys on their bikes Shooting stones at each other through the trees We tried to deny The going down of the sun We're just having too much fun